Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Admiral James Stavridis is a former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. You can follow him at StavridisJ or AdmiralStav.com. Perfect timing because as I'm about to speak to the Admiral, the Chiron on CNN says hostage deal between Israel and Hamas could be announced as soon as today. On MSNBC, it says tentative hostage deal reached pending Israeli approval. Fox is showing something different. Uh, Admiral, thank you so much for being here. Of that breaking news, what thoughts might you have? Uh, first, I think it'll be a limited hostage release, as in, as we know, there are about 240 hostages. I'd be uh, pleasantly surprised, but surprised if it were more than about 50. Number two, uh, this is a move with mutual benefit. Uh, Israel gets to say, hey, we're providing presumably a five-day ceasefire. Uh, Hamas gets to say we're releasing. It'll probably be children, elderly, women, defenseless civilians. Uh, So both sides are fighting very hard to control the narrative here, and both will try and portray themselves as doing the right thing, and and to some degree they are. Uh, And then third and finally, uh, don't read too much into this, as in uh, this is suddenly going to uh, create a rapprochement between Hamas and and Israel. I don't see that happening. I think I said this same thing to you last week. Maybe not. But I'm surprised there hasn't been more information forthcoming about the hostages that we we just we know remarkably little about their their health and well-being. Uh, that's correct, and that is shame on Hamas. Uh, and what do you expect from a terrorist organization uh, akin to the Islamic State? What we do know is who they are. Their faces are on posters uh, all over the world, some of which have been shamefully ripped down by uh, pro-Palestinian groups. You know, whether you are pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli, you are object mightily to the holding of civilian hostages. Uh, So Hamas is not going to provide a lot more data about them. And from a U.S. and Israeli perspective, um, they are not going to share a lot publicly because they're in this process of negotiations, which appears to be being brokered quite capably, as usual, by the Qatari government, which has good relations both between Israel and Iran, Michael. Admiral, you wrote most recently for Bloomberg on the following. I'm going to quote one of the paragraphs. You spoke of your career and then you said and and talked about being in a war zone. And then you said the most satisfying deployment I commanded was not a carrier. It was USNS Comfort, a 60,000 ton hospital ship with nearly a thousand beds and a main battery consisting not of combat jets, but of doctors and nurses. The ship has nearly 100 intensive care beds with total accommodations for more than 1,300 people if necessary. I was lucky to have the comfort under my command in Latin America and the Caribbean, where her crew performed hundreds of thousands of life-saving and life-changing patient treatments over the course of six months. Why were you discussing that part of your background? Because I make in that same article a suggestion, a concrete practical suggestion that we seriously consider 
deploying these two hospital ships to the waters off of Gaza uh, and devoting it to caring for uh, the youngest, the children, uh, the elderly, uh, who can be clearly screened out from a military age uh, population. So you could open up those ships, Michael, using high-speed transports, which the Navy has. We've got these wonderful old car carriers that have been fitted out to to carry four or 500 people. They can go 40 knots. That's almost 50 miles an hour. You can keep the ship safely out to sea away from potential terrorist attacks. And you, um, even as the hospitals, the lights are going out in the hospitals in Gaza, here are two fully formed hospitals that could be brought online relatively quickly in those waters. I'll, I'll close with this, Michael. It, it, it sounds a lot easier the way I'm portraying it than it actually is. You've got to pull one of the ships out of maintenance. One is forward deployed now in the Pacific. You've got to get an increased crew. You're going to have to put more protection around the ship. There's a lot of complexity to it, but um, clearly there's going to be need in Gaza for months and months ahead. Here's a, a turnkey solution. Last thought, uh, some listeners may remember the comfort deployed to New York City during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, and was quite effective up there. It shows the flexibility of the Navy, and it would show uh, American compassion for the Palestinian side, which would not be a bad thing right now. Totally agree. Totally agree on that point. Uh, what do you see with your trained eye when you watch the events at Al-Shifa Hospital and listen to the IDF talk about what they have discovered thus far and what they've not yet shown in the public domain? Uh, if I were advising the Israeli military, I would say you need to up your game in terms of showing the videos you know, we live in an utterly visual society. TikTok is dominating social media. Um, 15 seconds of good video footage showing these tunnels and command centers, I think, would be extremely helpful for the Israelis. Thus far, uh, what I have seen with my trained eye, if you will, is the opening doorways to the tunnels. The Israelis say they're afraid to open them because of booby traps. I got it. Send a UAV in, an unmanned vehicle. Got to start opening those tunnels. Got to show the world why you went to Al-Shifa Hospital. Israel is winning the tactical war fighting. They're losing the information war. They need to get visuals out there. That would be a very good thing for them to be doing. Admiral, finally, wipe the slate clean. I want to ask you a question that draws not only on your, your military knowledge and record and credibility, but also your tenure as the dean of the, the law school at Tufts. What, if anything, is disproportionate in the context of war? And as you mull that over, I'm asking you because I had a conversation with someone close to me yesterday and we were discussing the Israeli response to Hamas thus far and whether any idea or argument of disproportionality has a place yet in this conversation. Um, yes, I was dean of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Um, you're a lawyer, Michael. We don't grant JDs, but we grant LLMs, Masters in International Laws. One of the things we study extensively is exactly this, the laws of war. Um, and, and the mistake a lot of people make is is believing that it's an on and off switch, that it's crystal clear, that uh, tit equals tat, 
that um, proportionality means simply um, if you killed 100 of mine, we can only kill 100 of yours. That's not the case. Proportionality means if, if, if one side has conducted an operation that has created a massive casualty, which Hamas did at the start of this a terrorist incident, that doesn't mean that Israel is strictly limited in a kind of an arithmetic way. What Israel is allowed to do under proportionality is ensure that those kind of strikes cannot be taken again. And I think thus far, what I have seen falls within that range. Now, as you get further into the conflict and you start to deal with the issues, and we're all wrestling with these, of collateral damage, of civilians killed as the numbers rise, as you go into hospitals, um, all of that begins to shift that argument. And I think it's a legitimate discussion that is happening now. You know, see paragraph one for the Israelis. Um, they need to be very mindful of the fact that they're losing that narrative and they need to be uh, more cautious uh, even than they have been thus far in terms of minimizing casualties and being mindful of those, for example, who are in hospital and, and medically uh, vulnerable. Okay, but it would be too simplistic to say, well, 1,200 or thereabouts died on 10-7, and now more than 10,000, a 10-to-1 ratio, maybe it's a 15-to-1 ratio. That doesn't cut it by the analysis that Admiral Stavridis just offered. That's correct. Again, you need to look at impact of event um, and a a host of additional factors. Um, I think Israel remains on... Uh, on reasonably strong ground in terms of exercising self-defense. The further this goes, as the capabilities of Hamas are are diluted and ultimately eliminated, particularly as those tunnels are shut down, then I think Israel loses that moral high ground and needs to change their approach. And, And I'll close with this, Michael. It's not as though Israel is carpet bombing Gaza and turning it into the doomed city of Aleppo, the way the Russians did in Syria. Uh, This is not a scorched earth campaign. They are, in fact, using precision-guided means. All casualties, civilian casualties, are regrettable. But Israel is trying not to create casualties. Hamas, if they had the choice, would have killed 7 million Jews on October 7th. That's indisputable because they tell us that constantly. Okay, final thought. I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time than I already have. But to your last point about the precision attempts by Israel, they could do a better job showing that on television. Because to any American who's following this, all you see is the devastation and destruction. And I keep thinking... Everyone says Gaza is the size of Philadelphia, which I know well. And from what I'm seeing on television by now, there must be nothing left of it. But perhaps what we're seeing are only those locations that have been precision targeted. I think it is the latter. And um, if you go to Google Earth and you look at, at Gaza writ large, you'll find many, many areas that have not been touched in the conflict. Look, that's really not the point here. The point is, what's the intent of Israel and and how are they using those weapons? I think they're doing so thus far in a reasonably measured way. It's time for them. And that's, I think, your point 
to start dialing it in the other direction. And I agree with that. Thank you for uh, rolling with me on that. And I really appreciate what you just had to say, and you're uniquely qualified to say it. Admiral, I wish you all good things. Happy Thanksgiving, safe, happy, good travel, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Same right back. Have a wonderful turkey day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Admiral Stavridis. James Stavridis, you can follow him at Admiral, uh, at Stavridis J and AdmiralStav.com. I'm so glad that we just had that last dialogue on the idea of uh, proportionality or whether Israel's response has been disproportionate, because I'm, I'm hearing and reading so much from people who are of the opinion that it has reached a point where it is too much. And I won't repeat everything that Admiral Stavridis just had to say, but he said, to my notes, he said it's it's not simple arithmetic. You can't say X died on this day and Y died thereafter, and therefore it's disproportionate. It's it's all about, these were not his words, but this is what I interpreted him saying. It's all about preventing a repeat and making sure that they can't do it again. And as time moves on, you know, these dynamics change. And And if Hamas has been dismantled, then it's got to be dialed back. Does that make sense in terms of what you think looking at what's going on in Gaza? Love to have a conversation about this. I have not done this. I'm trying to think. I was tempted early on to ask a question about proportionality. And what would I say most simply? Has Israel's response been disproportionate? But I've not made it a poll question yet. At some point, I I might in the very near future. But you can answer that question right now and factor in what you just heard from the admiral. Has Israel's response been disproportionate? You can't look at it, as he says, in in just a, a numerical analysis. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. The Michael Smirconish program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Beginning in Scottsdale, Arizona with Steve. Steve, on the subject I was just discussing with Admiral Stavridis, proportionality. What did you want to say? There's no proportionality here, Michael. Israel needs to do what they need to do, because if they don't do what they need to do, this situation is going to occur over, over and over again. And they've been told that this has been a lifelong situation since 1948, and it's not going to stop unless something dramatic is done. And that's what's going on. And if you look at what was done to the 1,400 people, and we don't know the exact uh, count. If you look at the atrocities, it's beyond the pale, way, way beyond the pale. People are getting death threats in this country, and it's just got, gone way off, way off course. Well, I think he he analyzed it, he, Admiral Stavridis, the way that you did in terms of the objective is to prevent it from ever being able to happen again. And therefore, you can't just say 1,200 versus 12,000. You have to say, has Israel successfully dismantled Hamas's opportunity for a repeat of 10-7? Exactly. And uh, it just doesn't mean they don't need to be careful. It doesn't mean they don't need to be careful in how they do it. Uh, I I think they are. I think they are. If I don't if you don't mind me uh, speaking out right now, I think they are being careful. They value human life. Jewish people value human life. And this is what it comes down to. And uh, the kids on the college campuses now are scared. We have a terrible situation going on in this country. 
And you know it, we all know it, and it needs to be resolved in the correct way. And the only correct way is to let others know that this cannot go on. It's been going on my entire life. Uh, from the time I was in Hebrew school at age eight, we heard about this. This has been, this has been a lifelong situation with Israel and everybody around them. And the bottom line is it looked like things were going to become a little more peaceful with Saudi Arabia, et cetera, and then all of this occurred. And it just needs to get straightened out. And the only way Steve, it's going to get straightened out— I'm gonna- Go ahead. I'm going to run. I'm going to no, no, I'm going to run. I've got a lot of folks who want to get in and I'm appreciative of your call. So so thank you. Um, This puts in my head that we made another great discovery from my archives recently that we will be bringing to light and dropping as a book club podcast of mine. An interview that I did. There's a funny backstory. An interview that I did with former President Jimmy Carter back in 2006. Uh, of course, Rosalind, this is not funny part, but Rosalind Carter gone yesterday, 95, 96, uh, life well lived by all accounts. I've been fascinated to learn some of the details. But Jimmy Carter wrote a book, former President Carter wrote a book called Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid. And I did an interview with him just a couple of minutes long. We discovered it. We had never released it as a book club podcast, but we'll do so within the next couple of days, I think. And I will tell you the backstory at some point. In deference to all the people who are on hold, I'm not going to do it now, but some really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Mindy, greetings to you in Baltimore, Maryland. What did you want to say on the the disproportionality subject? We went in and devastated Iraq because of 9-11, and they weren't even part of 9-11. Americans are hypocritical. They hate Jews, and that's just the bottom line. Wow. You're drawing from all of this that Americans hate Jews, but what does that have to do with us decimating Iraq? Because we went if we if a, we went in because people blamed all Arabs for 9/11. And so we went into Iraq which wasn't involved in 9/11 and there was a lot of Arab hate in this country after 9/11 for a long time. And if people had done to Americans what Hamas did to those Israelis, people would want to level the Middle East in this country. I think people, some wanted to level the Middle East after 9-11, which which is, I guess, the point that you are making. But the predicate there was not that we hate Arabs. The predicate was that there are weapons of mass destruction. And why are we going to wait? I remember it all so well. Why would we wait to be attacked after we were just through? Look at all the evidence about this guy. Kevin, meaning Saddam Hussein, Chicago, Illinois. Greetings. What did you want to contribute? You know, um, uh, my dad was a World War II guy, and you actually met him in Cleveland one time at a speech at the Hard Rock Museum. I remember that event. I'm sorry he's gone. He lived a great life. But in any case, when he taught my brothers and I, if we got into a fight at school and somebody hit us, our job wasn't to hit them back. Our job was to put them in a position where they would never want to hit you again. This is exactly where Israel needs to be. They need to make sure that there is no way that Hamas ever even thinks they want to do this again. And for those who want them to do a ceasefire right now, just remember there are still missiles being fired from God into Israel today. 
So they clearly have the ability to make war. They've stated that they want to kill every one of them. And it's Israel's job to make sure that that can never happen again. Yeah, I don't know that that's possible. I I mean, where half the country is teenage or younger, I I don't know that you're ever going to cause the next several generations to say, well, we'll never do that again, because after all, here's what happened thereafter. I think, unfortunately, that they they are now being, you know, they're growing up and being bred to hate Jews and hate the West. And this is going to go on for a long time. Having huge hate for us or the Japanese having huge hate for us after we decimated them. I think this is different. I think this is different. I I wish that the. okay. I mean, I wish I wish that the prospect existed. I wish that the prospect existed to, uh, you know, a generation from now to get ahead of it. Wait, what did I just read on that issue? Just bear with me one second. Yeah, yeah. Roger Cohen writes today on exactly this issue. Uh, Headline in Mideast, a bitter split opens wider. Conflict is scarred by decades of trauma. There were not there were there was not a you know decades long animus between Germans and Americans, Japanese and Americans. That that's just not what World War II was all about, nor how it came about. Um, Sixty seven years later, at a time when Jews have again lost their lives to Palestinian gunmen at the same kibbutz, Mr. Diane's explicit evocation of the sources of Palestinian hatred and desire for revenge remains rare in Israel. Many Israelis have preferred to avert their gaze from the rage at their doorstep in the same way Palestinian insight into the devouring specters of anti-Semitic persecution awakened in Jews by the October 7 Hamas terror attack appears negligible. Mutual empathy is very hard to find. Each side begs for the status of five-star victim said Mohammed Darwashi, director of the Center for the Javat Haviva Center for Shared Society, etc. Et the, the gist of the story is to say these folks hate each other. They've hated each other for a long time. And, and this is not easily going away. Much different, I think, than the World War II parallel. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Well... This conversation has sparked a uh, sparked a fuse with many. So I'm going to move quickly and try and present a whole variety of opinions on this proportionality question. Am I using the right word on this proportionality question? Proportionality? You think proportionality? Oh, for sure. I'm looking things up now. So people have written on this. I'm going to see Good. what I can find. Nice. John, Atlanta, greetings to you. What's that thing you most wanted to say? Yes, uh, Mike, when you're talking about proportionality, on the one side, you have what is named a terrorist group that killed 1,300 people. Now, supposedly the good guys kill 10 times that, and they're, they're supposedly doing something that's okay. I mean, I think when, when you listen to the admiral, it, it sounds like he got his degree at J.C. Penney's. I mean, I call it moronic, but he's insulting the morons. Wait a minute, but he's he's making the point that it's not a simple calculation. It's it, it's not the arithmetic. It is you've got to preclude, prevent it from ever happening again. You've got to make sure that you've completely dismantled or incapacitated by whomever. What the civilian population? That's how they're preventing it by punishing the civilian population. Well, I'm going to now. I'm going to now sound. Grateful. I'm. I'm going to now sound like I'm I'm carrying water for Israel, and I'm I'm just trying to be fair and impartial as I analyze it, but. 
what alternative do they have if, in fact, Hamas is embedded in a civilian population? Like, stuff's going to happen, unfortunately. They could, they could go in there man-to-man with their guns and fight them like men, not punish civilians. Yeah, I don't know how they would be able to single out who those men are. I mean, that's one of the... Well, how it's one of the single, them out, single them out with their bombs? All right. I, John, look, I said I was presenting all views. I am a man of my word, at least in that regard. Phil, you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Greetings. What are you thinking today? Uh, I was just, uh, my jaw dropped. I, I thought that the, the U.S. naval ship Comfort was widely regarded as one of the biggest, like, disasters of the COVID, of the COVID era. Like, it never held more than 71 patients on its 1,100 beds and left essentially unused. And this guy commanded the, the Comfort. I mean, this, this admiral told, told you for wait, months. Wait a minute. You know, Russia wait a was minute. about to collapse. Hang on a second. He no was success. he was he was long gone by the time that the comfort was was where on the Hudson or wherever it was. I don't think it was the fault of the Navy that it was never used to its capacity. I remember well that New York City anticipated a situation at its hospitals that really never reached fruition. But his point was that having it there was in the best interest of New York City and a, and a good representation of the Navy. And it would see, similarly be... That's not what be, he said at all. He said it was quite effective. And it was, in fact, exactly the opposite. I mean, But is it, is it the fault? You should know the Okay. Answer. All right. Okay. All right. I thank you, Phil. Now now I'm, I'm carrying everybody's water, aren't I? I'm just going to sit back and say nothing. How's that? No, I can't do that. That would be very unusual. Can't do that. Uh, John, Northern Indiana, greetings to you. What are you thinking? You know, it's really sad because uh, this killing just never stops. And if, if the Israelis think that they're going to stop Hamas by just killing indiscriminate, innocent people, completely wrong. The only way to do that if you're willing to kill every single Arab in the Middle East. Otherwise, their numbers are going to grow. This got a political. This will happen again and again and again. And the only people who can make that happen is the United States, unfortunately, we dropped the ball. And how would we would make that happen? How? By saying by, by saying by you pushing both sides to compromise. It takes mm-hmm. compromise. They both sides need to give something to get something. Otherwise, it's never going to stop. And it's just having an effect on us, too, in the United States. That's why Arabs hate the United States, because of this. That's why we need to step up and actually do something, because I think in the long term, it's the best interest for everybody. Arabs are not going to get Israel, and Israel is not going to get rid of all of them. We need to kind of common sense, come yeah. to the middle a little bit. Otherwise, this shit will never end. I and agree really with that. There will, there will not be... There will not be... like same people. You know, right. they really look the same. Their language is pretty same. True. There are a lot of similarities. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, let me see. South Carolina. Tomasi. Mike, am I saying you're town or community correctly, Tomasi? It's Tomasi, Michael. Good morning. Tomasi, how are you? Thank you. Take the floor. I'm I'm outstanding. Yes, thank you so much for the call. Um, Mike, I believe that the uh, U.S. policy of proportionality is a serious mistake based on the past performance. It's failures. I, I don't think it's been successful. And at a stroke, the U.S. seems to throw away its greatest advantage which is overwhelming military competency. Is there any obligation for us? Okay, okay. I thought you were finished with your thought. I was going to ask a question. Finish up. Yes, go ahead, please. Is there any obligation on Israel's part to be 
proportionate in its response. If it's war, does the word proportionate even belong in this discussion? Well, I believe, depending on the objectives of the uh, Israeli high command, if the objective is the utter destruction of Hamas, then the answer would be that Israel should use every means at its disposal, both military and economic, to achieve those objectives. And they have stated that that is their objective at this time. I think I may have hit on a better poll question for tomorrow or someday future than the one that I was mulling over, which would be, is there any obligation on the part of Israel to be proportionate? Maybe in war, you know, proportionality, because if you think about this, if you think about this, if you say that Israel is being disproportionate, are you accusing Israel of engaging in war crimes? Does one necessarily follow the other? Al, you're in Indian Valley, Idaho. Greetings. What did you want to say? Well, Michael, you have to, everybody has to remember one thing about this whole thing. Tell me. This is not a political war. This war has been going on for years and years and years, and this is a war war of ideas. This is a war that goes all the way back to religion. Religious wars can never be won without a complete decimation of the idea. Is and it you really cannot a, win an idea. Can I, can I ask, is it really a war of ideas, i.e. religion, or is it a war of geography? No, if you go all the way back to where this war started. Right. When would that be, by the way? I'm curious to hear well, your starting point. Okay, I'm a, I'm a man of belief. If you go all the way back, the two sides of this war have been fighting all the way back to biblical times. And if you look back at biblical times, this this started way back in, in, in history, written history. And you cannot win win over an idea. You can't kill an idea. And therefore you can never win an a war of ideas. Do you believe, I'm just curious, I, I, I want to know because you said you're a person of faith, do you believe that a second coming is dependent upon who controls what is today considered Israel, Jerusalem in particular? I believe that the, at the, when this war, this ongoing religious war ends, that will be the, the second coming. But who controls that does not discern who you know the the second coming does not depend on on who on who controls it no i see okay well thank you for the direct answer i know others feel feel differently about that and it explains a lot of evangelical support for israel hear more of michael smirconish on sirius xm's potus channel 124 live weekdays from 9 a.m to noon east or anytime on the sxm app connect with michael on facebook twitter youtube and at smirconish.com michael smirconish for independent minds.